Welcome back, everybody. We're continuing our journey this year, following the King, learning about Jesus and what He wants for us as disciples from the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Today, we're in Luke chapter five, and there's some really poignant, surprising, fascinating stories in Luke chapter five. So far in the Gospel of Luke, mostly what we've seen is Jesus either being talked about or just interacting with people, but sort of, uh, it's like the people are far in the background, right? Like Jesus is featured fully, and the people are maybe responding to him, but they're not really doing much of anything, and we're not really seeing uh, like a layer to people in terms of their response to Jesus. Or more than one layer, maybe. We just see their immediate response, but not much past that. In Luke chapter 5, there's a little bit of a shift. In Luke chapter 5, there's a story uh, at the top of the chapter where Jesus goes out and he encounters some fishermen. If you've read the Gospels or if you're very familiar with them, you may recognize this is something that's in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And actually, John has a version of this story. It's not exactly the same. But Jesus interacts with these guys. And it's funny that he calls out to them and he says, Hey, what have you caught? Oh, we caught nothing. And he says, Well, why don't you let down your net on the other side for a catch? And Simon who would also be called Peter, uh, he answered him in verse 5, and he said, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. So here's the point. These fishermen guys, they had already been familiarized to some extent with Jesus. They kind of knew some things about him, and they even understood him as a quote-unquote master. Right? He was, he was a big deal. But there was still some doubt. Jesus, you've told me to fish some more. I'm an expert fisherman. I've been fishing all night. I've caught nothing. All right, I'll do it anyway. He goes on the deep water, which, by the way, is not where you typically catch fish with nets and so forth. But anyway, he goes on the deep water like Jesus told him. He puts down the net, and they have a huge catch. So much so that their their boats get filled up. Their nets are breaking. Their boats even start to sink. I mean, this is just a radical catch that they've had, something they surely had never experienced before in their lives. As a matter of fact, we know they hadn't because Peter, whenever he sees it, He falls at Jesus' knees, and he says in verse 8, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, I don't belong in your presence. How could you do this? This is obviously divine power that you have to draw these fish in, to gather all these fish. This is incredible. And he tells him to go away. But I love what Jesus says in response in verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. In other words, I'm not here to break you. I'm not here to destroy you. Don't be scared. From now on, you will be fishing for or catching people. Instead of fishing for fish, you're going to fish for people. And the text says, so they pulled their boats up to shore. They left everything. That huge catch of fish, that just that world-changing, this was the big one they've been hoping for their whole lives. They left it all behind, and they followed him. Let me just make an observation. We're going to kind of build this story out uh, for a couple of minutes here and then try to draw out some lessons. But let me make, make an observation here. Whenever we talk about fishing, it's important to notice what kind of fishing they were doing. At least when I think about fishing, I think about fishing for sport, where you go out with a rod and reel, and you've got a hook and bait, and you throw it out in the water, and the fish sees the shiny or tasty bait, and it goes for it, and you catch one fish on the line. That's not the kind of fishing, and I know this is probably obvious, you're like, I know this, but it's just good to remind ourselves because it's going to come into play more as the story continues. This kind of fishing is not like what we're talking about for sport fishing in 
uh, our context. The kind of fishing that they were doing was dropping huge nets. And rather than sort of um, sniping a fish, you know, like I'm going to, bam, get this one. Uh, it was more of a gathering situation. You cast the net and just whatever you draw in, whatever gets gathered by that net, that collection of fish is the, the haul. That's what you get. Um, so what kind of people would these disciples be gathering? Because that's what Jesus told them. He said, come with me and you're going to be gathering, not fish anymore. You're not going to be throwing out a net to gather fish. You're going to be gathering people. What's the group of people going to look like who surrounds Jesus? Well, immediately after this, we see some wonderful stories. Uh, but they must have been a little uncomfortable for these fishermen guys. The first interaction they have is with a leper, a guy who was unclean, who could have infected and harmed them. But that's who Jesus was more than willing to interact with. And he reaches out and even touches the man to heal him. After that, they're in, they're in a house and some people bring a paralytic. Not someone who's got a lot of money or who's really attractive, but someone who, and of course you know if someone was paralyzed, especially in more primitive medical and social conditions, this would be tough for, I mean, what do you think the guy looked like? What do you think he smelled like? What do you think his life was like? if he was paralyzed for presumably a, a long time, maybe for his whole life. These are the kinds of people, lepers, paralytics. It actually gets even worse. If you go down to Matthew 5 and verse 27, Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5 and verse 27, here in what we're looking at, Luke 5 and verse 27, it says, After that, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. You may be aware that in the Gospels and during the time of Jesus, tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were working for the Roman government, so they were traitors against their own people. I mean, they were tax collectors. Who likes a tax collector? This time of year, people are starting to think about taxes. Nobody likes taxes being collected, just period. Doesn't matter how good of a person you are, how loyal you are to your country. But anyway, so they're tax collectors. They're traitors because they're working for the Romans. And oftentimes, not necessarily all tax collectors, but oftentimes, tax collectors were known to be thieves, to take more than what they had to take and to cheat people in that way. So they're walking by this tax booth, and I don't know, but I can imagine if I were one of the disciples, I would think, man, I hope Jesus preaches a sermon to this guy and just tears him up. And you might even imagine that might be what they expected whenever Jesus stops and he looks at this guy named Levi. But whenever Jesus opens his mouth, instead of slamming him for being a dirty, rotten tax collector, which, by the way, in the Gospels, they were considered the worst of the worst because they had their own category. It was tax collectors and sinners. That's how it got identified. Jesus would be with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, all other sinners would be like, well, at least I'm not a tax collector. You know, like That would be the worst thing that I could be. Jesus looks at this tax collector, and instead of berating him or destroying him or whatever, Jesus says, follow me the exact same thing he had told the fishermen, the good guys. Okay, wait a second. <laughs> Jesus, you brought us to follow you, and now the people we've been around are lepers who we can get infected with, paralytics that just make us feel uncomfortable and awkward, and you know we kind of question whether they did something bad and need to be, they're being punished or something. That's kind of weird and questionable. And now you're bringing us around a tax collector. Actually, maybe put it this way, you're bringing a tax collector around us. You're equating us with a tax collector. And yet it gets even worse because look at what happens in the next um, sentence. In verse 28, it says, He left everything behind him just like they did, and he got up and began to follow Jesus. And then Levi gave a big, it says a big reception, a big party. So these are tons of people. You can imagine this, right? A big reception for Jesus in his house. 
and there was a great crowd, not just a crowd, but a great crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. Do you understand what's happening? Now it's not just that we've got one of the bad guys, and at least you could have some sort of superior, like, well, you know, like we uh, we took this tax collector on. We're going we're gonna to reform him. We're going to straighten him up. We're going to get him right. You know, he's, he's, he's with Jesus now. He's with us. No, no, no. You're going into his house. You're hanging out with his friends. You're eating at his table. This guy that you would have never wanted to be around in the past, you're sitting there and breaking bread with him because that's where Jesus led you. If you keep on going, the Pharisees, that is kind of the religious leaders of the day, they began complaining to Jesus' disciples. And they were saying, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's interesting, the disciples didn't answer. And I'm not sure about this, but I can imagine maybe the reason they didn't answer is they were kind of wondering the same thing. Because Jesus is the one who has to step up. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What do these stories mean for us? What do we learn from all this? I'm going to suggest to you at least three things. That this, this, these initial stories of discipleship and the disciples following with Jesus in the work that he was doing in the world, what it teaches them, or what it should have taught them at least, and maybe more importantly, what it teaches us today. First off, Jesus wants to make followers who will make more followers. He doesn't just want us to follow him for our own gain or for our own transformation. He said to the disciples right off the bat, Follow me. From now on, you will be catching people. In other words, you're, I'm, I'm going to make you one of my followers, and I want you to call more people, bring more people to be my followers. Do you believe that? Are you living that way? Are you living in a way that you can actually make more followers of Jesus? Or are you just living for yourself? Are you living a kind of private Christianity that you're not trying to influence others, you're not trying to draw others in? If you are, you need to change. You need to understand that the whole purpose of your discipleship, of Jesus calling you to follow him, is to draw more people in, to make more followers. This is what Jesus said at the very end of his life in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. He said to his disciples, his followers, go, make disciples of all the nations. That's the first lesson we learned. Jesus makes disciples so that we will make more disciples uh, for him. There's a second lesson here. As we're making disciples, <clears throat> the people who we're going to be gathering are not always going to be very, I'm doing air quotes over here, desirable people. Lepers, paralytics, tax collectors, sinners. This is not exactly on your top ten list of people you want to hang out with on the weekend. And yet those are exactly the people that Jesus opened himself up to, reached out and served the people who he helped, the people who he sat down and broke bread with. Now understand, Jesus wasn't just partying with sinners to do sinner things. The sinners knew Jesus was preaching the gospel. These were people who were sinners who were saying, man, this is messed up. I don't need to live this anyway, uh, anymore, and I need to change my ways and follow after Jesus instead. So don't get it twisted. It's not just Jesus was hanging out with sinners with no purpose or aim or whatever. But the point still stands that Jesus was with people who are not desirable. And if you're going to follow after Jesus, you need to understand that you're going to have to shift your perspective 
of the type of people that you want to be around. We should want to be around people who want to be around Jesus. It doesn't matter if they're losers in the eyes of the world, if they can't contribute anything to our lives, because the people who gather around Jesus are lepers and paralytics and tax collectors. And we need to get comfortable with that. And not to get comfortable with it in some sort of, okay, fine, I guess I'll grit my teeth and deal with it. But actually to love people. Because after all, we are trying to follow Jesus and become more like him. And as we are gathering with people who Jesus is gathering to himself, just like fish in a net, we're all in the same net. Um, and we've got to learn to be comfortable with people who want Jesus, which may be people who aren't very desirable in the eyes of the world. Which kind of leads to the third thing here. The value, I think, of making disciples and formulating deep relationships with people who may not be, quote-unquote, desirable, the lepers, the paralytics, the tax collectors and sinners of the world, the outcasts, the value of being around those people is it helps you realize that that's actually who you are too. You may be a more desirable person in the eyes of the world, but really these fishermen, they weren't anything special. And I imagine whenever Jesus said to them, well, said to the Pharisees, but also said to his disciples, hey, I didn't come to call the quote-unquote righteous or maybe people who thought they were righteous or people who think they have their life together. Jesus says, that's, that's not who I'm here for because honestly, people who are well don't go to the doctor or people who think they are well don't go to the doctor. Jesus said, I came to call the people, to deliver the people, to save the people, to gather the people who recognize that they're in trouble who recognize that they're sinners, who recognize their desperate need for me. I know in my experience, the thing that's helped humble me the most and made me appreciate God's grace the most and made me, I think, be a better disciple is being around others who recognize their desperate need for God. People who have committed deep sins. Sins that if I was, if, if we were measuring it by worldly standards, I, I haven't committed the same kinds of sins. And maybe someone might say, oh, you're a, such a good person compared to so-and-so. But when I'm around people who recognize, man, I'm in desperate need of God and I'm so messed up. And if without him, I'm nothing. It wakes me up to the reality that I'm in desperate need of God. No matter how nice of a person I might be or good of a person in the eyes of others or not, whatever. I'm nothing without him. And so taking up the work of making disciples as his disciple, being willing to get comfortable with the gathering of people around Jesus who may not be quote-unquote desirable in the eyes of the world and by society and culture at large, it helps me know myself better. Making disciples makes me a better disciple because it humbles me to repentance. It humbles me to gratitude for all of the grace that Jesus shows me. I hope this helps you as you read Luke chapter 5. There's a lot of other great stories in here. You can read more about them. Check them out. And hey, if you have any questions about what you're reading in the Gospel of Luke, if you're reading with us this year, uh, send us a message. You can go to our website, thewaybk.com. That's all one word, thewaybk.com. Uh, or you can find us on Facebook, thewaybk, all uh, three different words, the space, way, space, bk. Um, leave us a comment, send us a message, especially if you're in Brooklyn and you want some help understanding the gospel of Christ. Uh, we can do that online, email, we can do it over the phone. We can, we'd love to meet you in person. You can come join a group Bible study. We can do one-on-one -on -one stuff. Whatever we can do for you, we want to help you. We appreciate uh, you listening, and if we can help you in any way, let us know how. Talk to you next time.